You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Well, friends, as you probably no doubt know, I get uh, feedback and correspondence emails from people all around the world on a daily basis. And as I've said before in other venues, I think at this point I have received correspondence from people on every single uh, continent on the planet so far, except for Antarctica. So uh, if there is anyone listening from Antarctica right now, give me a shout and we'll uh, complete the circuit. But obviously, I do get a lot of feedback from people all around the world. And on that note, I did recently get some feedback from a listener in the Netherlands who says that Dutch TV just recently ran a report that was talking about uh, the alternative news sources that are popular amongst the youth. And apparently, according to this person, the Corbett report was uh, either the first or the second most popular one that they mentioned. I have nothing to back that up, so I don't know. I can't verify whether that uh, that report ever took place. But uh, but I certainly have had quite a few emails from the Netherlands over the years. So perhaps I should spend a little more time concentrating on Dutch matters for our friends in Holland. But uh Until that point, uh, today I wanted to address something that I do tend to get often. It's a question that I get from people all over the world, and I get it uh, on a frequent basis. And I've never directly addressed it, or not at any length. So I thought I would spend tonight's episode talking about this question, namely the question of how I ended up in Japan, what it was like coming to Japan, why I bother staying in Japan, and whether or not someone else should move to Japan, and if they want to move to Japan, how best to move to Japan. There's a lot of people out there that are interested in that, and I guess it's like the fish not really thinking about the water that they're swimming in. I don't tend to think too much about the situation I'm in here as a Canadian living in Japan, but I suppose it is somewhat unique or uh, somewhat uh, uh, unusual. So I I guess there is some value into going over this and talking a little bit about what the situation is like here in Japan. And uh, I know a lot of people have a curiosity on this. So I do have some political and and economic and societal issues I'd like to talk about today. But I I would like to try to to talk more about the, uh, the personal side of things, because I know that's something that a lot of people out there are interested in talking about what it's like living here on a daily basis, what it's like uh, with Fukushima and what people talk about on the streets here, etc. So I'm going to try to give an overview of that today. And again, it is kind of like a fish talking about the water that they're swimming in, so it might not all be that explicit or that that uh, that incredibly interesting for you. I don't know, but I'm going to try to address some of the common questions that I get, especially about people who are interested in potentially moving uh, uh, to another country. And uh, the long and short of it is, uh, the, the, for, of that answer really is that I can never really actively uh, promote people to, to move to another country. That's a very, a deeply personal decision that people have to come to. And I think they have to come to it for the, in their own lives and their own personal situations for all sorts of different reasons that they may want to leave home or not want to leave home or whether they would fit in well in Japanese society or not. There are way too many variables for me to give specific answers on a specific basis on that point. But uh, but I can at least talk a little bit about my own situation and why I am living in here and why I, I do find it so comfortable here in Japan. And I would say that first off, right off the top, I think one of the things that has drawn me to Japan and keeps me here is the... Uh, the, the people, obviously, there is, there are some, some of the, the greatest people I've met, just some incredibly, incredibly uh, polite and considerate people on a way, in a way that makes you really realize what politeness and consideration really is. Uh, some of the, uh, the things that Japanese people will do as just common courtesy are just, well, you get used to them after a while, and when I go back home to Canada for uh, vacations and such, I must confess a little bit of reverse culture shock sometimes. Even just the uh, some of the rudeness that you get treated with in stores, etc., is just not something that you would be used to uh, in Japan. And uh, there's positives and negatives to all of this, of course, but, uh, but I, for one, uh, feel quite at home in Japanese society. So I'm happy to stay here for the moment. But I will be getting into more of that and my considerations about Fukushima and all of this that's going on here in Japan tonight on the program. Also sharing some uh, videos and interviews that you may not have seen before from my DVDs and also from my subscriber-only newsletter. So you might want to stay tuned for that. And on that note, we're going to take a short break, but we'll be back right after these messages. (laughs) 
All right, friends, welcome back. Once again, welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. And tonight we're going over Japan. We're going to shine the spotlight of our open source investigation on Japan and why I'm here and what I'm doing here and what we're uh, what what this is all about and uh, answering some of the questions that I, I continue to get on a regular basis from people who are curious from all around the world who are thinking about moving to another country, some thinking about moving to Japan specifically, want to know more information about that. So I'm going to share some of my own personal experiences here tonight, and once again, I will be sharing some of the videos from uh, the subscriber-only newsletter and the DVD, so get you a, a sneak peek of, peek of those. And of course, if you want to see the video of tonight's radio broadcast, for those of you in Radioland, please go to CorbettReport.com, where the video of tonight's broadcast will be posted up a few hours after the show airs. But uh, basically... Uh, I suppose the long and the uh, the short story of how I ended up getting here and what I'm doing in Japan, etc., is uh, not particularly exciting. But uh, basically, I was studying in Ireland at uh, Dublin and Trinity College, and I was studying Anglo-Irish literature there. And one day, I was uh, on campus, and I just ran into one of the people that I was uh, studying with in my class, and he meant I asked him what he was doing. He mentioned that he was looking online for jobs teaching in Asia. And as a young man myself, still contemplating what on earth I was going to do with a degree in Anglo-Irish literature, and uh, getting deeper and deeper in debt by the moment, I thought, well, that sounds like an idea. So I, uh, I went online myself and started looking at uh, the possibility before you knew it, I was applying for uh, teaching in Japan, and I ended up getting a job. And it was a job, at the time, with what was the largest uh, private teaching school company, whatever you want to call it, in Japan. Uh, there is an English conversa- conversation private school industry, I suppose, here in Japan, where basically all you need is a university degree in absolutely any subject. All you need is the university degree, and even that, I think, is only really for securing the visa. And uh, they will uh, they will bring you out here to Japan and, uh, and pay you... Uh, a reasonable salary, at any rate, for someone fresh out of college to to teach English conversation, or at least that's the the norm that was established back in the early part of uh, last decade when I came out here myself. Uh, it has tra- changed dramatically since then. Um, basically, I was teaching for that that school for the first few years I was out here, but that school ended up going bankrupt, and and there was a big brouhaha about that, and 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 it basically uh, really turned the, the, the private teaching industry here in Japan upside down. But basically, the English conversation schools work by you go in and you... There are textbooks and lessons, but it's really more about having conversations. So it's not really about teaching grammar or anything of that sort. It's really more about basically being paid to speak your own language, which uh, which is uh, in some ways a very easy job, in some ways a very uh, mundane and, and, and boring job, but, uh, but it was a job nonetheless, and that was what I was doing for the first few years that I was here in Japan. And when that uh, private language school went under, uh, some people stuck with it, and it is still going under new management today, and it's still limping along in various ways. But, but I uh, I quickly found a new job as a teacher in the public school system here. So I did that for about four years um, after the three years that I spent at that uh, that private teaching school. So I was in the public school system. I was teaching uh, elementary and junior high school students for four years there, and uh, it was quite an amazing experience. I had I had a lot of interesting times there teaching in the public school system, and uh, and it really uh, it was a valuable experience to me. I'm glad I had it, and I'm glad that I am now doing the website full-time, and I'm absolutely blessed by the support of people out there to be able to do that full-time and to devote my full-time energies to matters geopolitical and, and all of the things that we talk about here on the Corbett Report. But nonetheless, I am extremely va- uh, grateful for the time that I had uh, teaching um, teaching children. It was an excellent experience for me. I didn't really have any experience with children before that, so it, I think it's good and probably preparing me for fatherhood in the, uh, in the future. But it was uh, it was a valuable experience, and I learned a lot not only um, about teaching and 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 aspects of that, but about human nature itself. Because I don't know for people who have never worked with children, you, know, you learn a lot about human nature from working with children. And on that note, let's go to the first clip that I have lined up for us tonight. Uh, back in uh, I believe November of last year, I started the uh, subscriber only newsletter, which at that point was only once a month. 
but at this point it's coming out once a week. But still, once a month, I am putting out a subscriber-only video that is part of that e-newsletter. And in the first ever edition of that uh, e-newsletter subscriber-only video, I did a little uh, five-minute video on teaching in Japan. So let's go to the clip uh, for me talking about teaching in Japan and uh, really what it was like as I uh, as I started to get to know more about human nature through my position teaching here in Japan. Hello friends, James Corbett here from CorbettReport.com coming to you in what I think is probably the most dilapidated and uh, worn down playground in all of Japan. And it's a good thing I've never seen children actually playing here because the equipment actually looks unsafe. But I thought this might make a nice outdoor setting for a more in, a casual and informal video that I'm making specifically for subscribers. Of course, this is part of the Corbett Report subscriber e-newsletter, which I guess you were probably reading if you've got this link. So thank you once again for your support. I truly couldn't do it without you. And as you know, I think, as most of the people watching this probably know, I used to be a teacher here in Japan, an English teacher teaching in the uh, public school system. But in, uh, in recent uh, months, I've been able to actually expand the Corbett Report to full-time work because of the generous support of people like yourself. So once again, I thank you wholeheartedly for that and for helping me to do what I think I'm actually good at doing, which is the Corbett Report and all of that work. But uh, of course, before I was a teacher here in Japan, and although... I am not a teacher anymore. There are, of course, the moments when I miss uh, having that interaction and uh, having all of those uh, those fun children to play with and to, uh, to basically get paid for playing soccer at recess and things like that. That was that was quite a nice uh, job in some ways. Of course, it's always a bit frustrating working with children, but there are definitely, definitely rewards to that kind of work. So I wanted to share with you some of my uh, previous moments in that uh, former life of mine as a teacher. Here I am at one of the kindergartens I used to teach at and teaching the kids about different colors and uh and there i am making some random gesture who knows why singing and playing games and here i am at one of the uh, the elementary schools that i used to teach at so so that's uh, some remnants from my former life as a english teacher and i even have here one of the uh, one of the very nice things about being a teacher of course you get to things like this just random notes from one of the children at the uh, at the school um, this one says, let me see if I can read this, uh, it's from this, this child, and it says, uh, to James Sensei, to James Teacher, and, uh, here we have a nice drawing of, of something, it's called Kumakun, which I guess means bear boy, and, uh, it's basically saying, um, Otoko desu, I'm a boy, um, uh, kawaii Kumakun, I, a cute bear child. So there you go. That's that's a nice little uh, painting I got from one of the students once. And it, as I say, it's of course one of the nice things about being a teacher. You get cute little things like that. It's very, very heartwarming, very touching. But there's another aspect to working with children, which I'm sure if you've ever worked with children or have children of your own, you probably know. And that's that we learned something really important about human nature from children. And uh, one thing that really struck me once was when I was working at one of the kindergartens that I used to work at, one day there was an activity where the children were coloring flags. There was going to be a marathon race, so they were making flags so that they could cheer on the racers. And uh, it was a free free design activity. They could do whatever they want. So they, they had this flag, and they were coloring it in however they wanted. And, of course, they're three, four, five years old, so they're just scribbling, basically. But there was one girl who was uh, working, and she, she was coloring in, in just diagonal lines, but very straight, very even, and it looked very nice. It was a very nice little design, especially for a five-year-old or whatever she was, probably better than I could do because I have no artistic skills whatsoever. But I, I noticed that when she was doing this, and there, there was the girl next to her who was just scribbling and doodling, and it just looked a mess, as you, know, as you would expect from a small child like that. And it was extremely interesting to watch the other child watching this girl who's doing the very nice, very good-looking design, looking over, and you could see her starting to get frustrated at that, at the fact that hers didn't look very nice at all and the other ones looked very, very nice. So you could see her starting to get frustrated about it, and you could see the cogs going in her head. And at one point, she just took her crayon and reached over and scribbled all over and ruined the design of this other girl who, amazingly enough, didn't even start crying or anything, which is what almost inevitably starts happening in those situations. It was just just one of those things that happens. But I thought that was extremely interesting to, to observe, especially as someone who is observing the so-called elite, the parasitic people at the top of the system who are, who are puppeteering this system, as you well, uh, are well aware if you watch the Corbett Report or listen to my work, 
So I thought it was interesting about what that reveals about the psychology of the parasitic elite at the top, because that's truly the way I see them. I see them as that that frustrated girl who can't really do the design very well, and instead of appreciating the work of someone who could do the work a lot better than them, she had the need, and I think the parasitic elite at the, meet, at the top have the need to scribble out and destroy what they can't what they can't better themselves. So these are the people with that mentality in mind that they want to destroy what is what is beautiful. They want to destroy what is creative and what is wholesome about humanity because they can't do it themselves. And that, to me, is the secret of their psychology. And that's that's I think something that's a key insight into the way that this system is structured. At any rate, I just wanted to posit that to all of you out there as as something to keep in mind when we're thinking about these so-called elite who actually run the system and have uh, engineered it all in order to destroy what is good and creative and wholesome about human nature. At any rate, that's it for this subscriber-only video of CorbettReport.com. And once again, thank you so much for making all of this possible. I couldn't do it without your support. Thank you. All right, friends, welcome back. Once again, this is Corbett Report Radio. I'm James Corbett. And what we were just listening to there was a little clip from my subscriber-only video from November of last year when I was basically starting the subscriber-only newsletter. And I did a little video just uh, out there in a field in Japan talking about my time as a teacher here in Japan and showing some of the photos and memorabilia, etc. from my teaching uh, time here. So... Uh, once again, if you want to see that video, it will be up on CorbettReport.com later today. If you want to see the subscriber-only videos, uh, please, of course, become a subscriber. And once again, I can't do the Corbett Report without your support out there, so I do sincerely appreciate all of the subscribers who make this possible and really do bring me to you. And uh, once again, details of that are at CorbettReport.com slash support, as little as 100 Japanese yen a month. And these days, that's, uh, that's a, <laughs> I suppose, a lot. It's uh, almost almost a dollar 40 a month um, back in back in the day a few years ago it would have been more like a dollar a month but uh, there you go that's that's the way things go in this uh, topsy-turvy economy so uh, once again tonight we're talking about Japan and what's going on in Japan moving to Japan teaching in Japan for people who are interested in teaching in Japan I'm not sure I could recommend it uh, wholeheartedly as a uh, as a career move or as an option in that sense, I don't think it's... uh, I often get uh, emails and things from actual teachers and people with teaching degrees and people with actual certifications that are wondering about coming over here. Certainly you can come over here and you can teach in the system, but I I imagine that the people who are really gung-ho teacher teachers uh, would be often quite disappointed in the type of teaching that goes on here and in the ability for the the English teacher to have much input over the curriculum and what goes on, etc., etc. So I think if you're a teacher with a lot of uh, specific ideas about how to teach, etc., I'm not sure Japan is the place to come. Because once again, this is a society that is very much uh, bureaucratic in nature and very... Very much, uh, there's there's a way to do everything, and uh, going against that way is a lot of hassle in in a lot of senses. So, people who come in with uh, specific ideas of how they want to teach, etc., etc. Well, there are times and ways that you can do that, but uh, but quite often, more often than not, the old uh, Japanese proverb that the nail that sticks up will be hammered down applies. So, it certainly isn't for everyone. And just these days, I just don't know about the the. Basically, the industry itself, the, uh, the whether it will be supportable or w- would be uh, viable for a long-term career. I know there are some old-timers out here who have been out here for decades now who have been teaching and do make a living out of it. But again, I just don't think it's uh, it's for everyone. And the attrition rate is quite high. As a way of basically spending a year when you're out of college looking for something to do and looking for some experience, it is an incredible experience to have. But uh, but even so, it's still not what it used to be as uh, as the language school, the private language schools that used to be the, the conduit for a lot of people to get in here and to get the visa and to get over and get established in Japan. And then they tend to move on to public schooling or other you know, private schools, etc. But that uh, that has been diminished quite a bit since the the upheaval that happened back in 2007, and the market's quite depressed now, and and uh, the the wages are not going up at all, and uh, it's not a lot of uh, of money. So I don't know if I could really recommend it for people. If you want to, again, it's not a bad idea. Um, just to spend a year, dip your toe in the water, and see how it goes, and uh, see a little 
part of the world that you uh, might not otherwise get a chance to see. That was my original intention, but of course, I've been out here for eight years now, so obviously I did a little bit more than just dip my toe in the water. And I, uh, I I really do enjoy it here. It's quite a comfortable place for me. Um, once again, I think just the, uh, the the people, the society, the uh, it really meshes well with my own personality. And again, that's not for everyone. I think uh, people who are more used to to really outgoing natures and spontaneous uh, conversations with people on the street, etc., probably would be uncomfortable in a lot of places in Japan, especially where I am in Japan, where people tend to be quite conservative and quite uh, keep to themselves. But uh, but there is that warmth and friendliness when you break through that that uh, that initial. I guess, barrier of politeness, <laughs> and you get to know people underneath, and uh, really, genuinely, some of the warmest and nicest people I've ever met have been here in Japan. And in fact, for people who are watching the videos here on uh, on CorbettReport.com or on YouTube or Blip.tv, uh, you might notice in the far background there's a, a painting up on the wall behind me, and that painting is actually a gift that was given to me by one of the uh, the principals at one of the schools that I worked at. Uh, the principal gave me that. Um, he, he painted it, and he just came into the, the, the teacher's room one day, and he just said, uh, this is a gift for you. And that was that was incredible. That was amazing. So I put that in a, a treasured place behind me here. So uh, that that's the type of thing that uh, that always just blows me away. People here just so friendly, so nice, um, always giving gifts and, and being uh, friendly to other people. So it is a nice society in that way. And that's why I think if and when the, the apocalypse happens, I think uh, Japan will at the very least uh, not be the type of society that would immediately fall into apocalypse now. I mean, I can imagine back home in Canada or in America or in some of the other places that I've been to uh, what society would devolve into very quickly should uh, the the rug be pulled out economically and uh, it w- I can imagine it won't be a pretty picture but I can imagine people in Japan really bonding together and banding together and uh, and really coming together for each other and uh, that's not just touchy feely talk I mean people here uh, for example pretty much every family here tends to have a family rice paddy that uh, that everyone will chip in and, and harvest the rice each year and that type of thing so so I think there is a certain degree of uh, of, of self uh, self sustainability self independence uh, here that uh, that is an important streak and one of the reasons that I like living here all right we'll be uh, we'll take another short break we'll come back discussing more about uh, living in Japan right after this The Corbett Report is brought to you by The Corbett Report Subscriber. A weekly newsletter featuring James Corbett's International Forecaster Editorial, recommended reading and viewing, discounts on Corbett Report DVDs, and once a month, a subscriber-only video. Sign up today to start receiving your copy at corbettreport.com support. All right, friends, welcome back. Welcome back. This is Corbett Report Radio, and tonight we're talking about living in Japan, living abroad, really, I suppose. Uh, it's, uh, in some respects, it's sort of the same thing uh, for people who are contemplating moving to another country. Once again, I think that's a huge decision for people to make, and obviously there are all sorts of personal factors that play into that, so I really can't advise anyone specifically on whether or not they should move to Japan or move to another country, or where I think will be the safest place to be should the economic collapse come, or things of that nature. Again, that's uh, that relies on so much guesswork and so much personal information and your own preferences and, and where you are in your own personal life that there's no way that any, I think, uh, third-person party that has never met you and doesn't know anything about you could ever really give any recommendation of of any real substance on that sort of matter. But having said that, I mean, I think that uh, it is interesting, at least, to, to think about that. I can say definitively that is absolutely not why I'm here in Japan. I don't think it's going to be the, the safest place in the world. Uh, in some ways, when and if the economic collapse really uh, really sets in, uh, it, it will be a, a, a nightmarish place to live, insofar as, of course, Japan being an island nation 
de- depends so heavily on imports for its energy and for uh, for even f- its food supply, increasingly uh, dominated by uh, imports because the Japanese diet is slowly changing from the seafood and uh, rice type of diet to a more westernized diet, and uh, that's unfortunate for many reasons. But uh, but it does mean that uh, the old uh, cliches about uh, Japanese people being sh- so short, I can get, testify that is not the case. In fact, uh, there is not a day I'd, I go out and I don't see uh, many people who are taller than I am. The, uh, the children these days are growing up extremely tall, and uh, I think that's just a function of the, uh, the McDonald's diet coming in and eating more meat. And uh, really, the kids are growing a lot uh, taller these days. But unfortunately, as people back in my home and native land of Canada and people in the States and other Western countries uh, know all too well, uh, attendant upon that, is, of course, comes all of the other horrible uh, side effects and the obesity and all of that that comes attendant with that Western uh, diet. So I think that's a bad thing in the long run. But Again, that's neither here nor there. Uh, once again, I think it is interesting to to think about some of these uh, issues. Of course, in relation to Fukushima and some of the other things that are that have gone on in Japan recently, and of course, that's that's one of the uh, the most common questions I get about Fukushima, what it's like here, and and what it's like to stay here. Aren't I concerned about it, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And of course, anyone who's following FukushimaUpdate.com knows that there are still valid concerns, very real concerns about what's going on at Fukushima especially, of course, Unit 4 and the spent fuel pool that's sinking unevenly into the ground and could collapse given any sort of strong earthquake or even just a strong gust of wind. Of course, uh, we've, uh, we're have we almost through another typhoon season here, but uh, but always the, the possibility of a strong typhoon and or earthquake hitting in that area. And if uh, C- Reactor 4 collapses, of course, that will be a nightmare of, uh, of global proportions. But in terms of day-to-day life here in Japan, I can tell you it is not a common point of conversation on the streets here. People do not talk about it a lot. Uh, it is not featured on the news quite so much as it used to be here. And when and if it is, it's not really dwelt on as an imminent danger. Uh, you really have to, to sort of look for the stories that tell you what's going on. And uh, unfortunately, they, they continue to come out uh, TEPCO trying to hide the cra- cracks in the reactors, etc., that are still continuing to leak radioactive materials out into the ocean. Uh, TEPCO now worrying about running out of space for storing all the radioactive water that's accruing at the site and uh, wondering how they're going to actually deal with all of the water that they're still continuing to amass. Uh, and uh, and unfortunately, fish, they're still catching fish. I just posted a story up to FukushimaUpdate.com about a new study they're going to do to try to figure out why it is that some of the fish that they're catching in the Fukushima area have as much as 100 times the uh, recommended or the allowable dose of radiation, the Japanese government official allowable dose. They just can't figure it out because the fish, the cesium seems to be declining in fish and then they'll catch one and it'll be 100 times over the limit and they just, they're scratching their heads so they're going to do scientific studies on it. Yeah, I'm not exactly holding my breath for the results of that. So certainly there are very real concerns, but the concerns in terms of uh, general fallout, etc., of course, was really last year when there was a lot of radiation going into the atmosphere. Uh, since that is not the, the main delivery, uh, that's not really what's happening at the site anymore. Now it's really the radioactive water that's seeking, seeping out into the ocean and the ever-present risk that it that who knows where the corium is, but assuming it is contained, the fact that it could potentially uh, still continue to melt through and get into the groundwater, which again would be a huge, huge deal uh, in terms of just the environmental fallout of that. I, I shudder to think, but uh, but that is the type of issues that we're looking at here. Um, people are not so concerned about it, and I myself am doing everything I can to make sure that I'm not eating anything from that part of the country uh, in terms of the vegetables and, and other things that we're consuming. And I am also, of course, we're not eating seafood. The only seafood that we've eaten, uh, myself and my wife have eaten in the last several months has been, uh, or the last year and a half now, has been Chilean salmon. And even that is starting to become questionable as the uh, the radioactive plume from Fukushima continues to spread out across the Pacific. 
So I think uh, potentially for next month's subscriber-only video on the subscriber newsletter, I'm going to actually do a video of uh, a supermarket here in Japan, just show people uh, basically what types of foods there are and how I select what foods I'm going to eat or not going to eat. So a little slice of life. That's often what I do with those subscriber-only videos, just showing people little bits of uh, life here in Japan. For example, this month's uh, subscriber-only video was a, a glimpse at the Okoyama, Okoyama Jazz Festival, my local jazz festival here, and just a glimpse of one of the groups that were performing there. But uh, but let's go to another clip. I want to show a little clip from an interview that is featured on the 2009 video archive, of course, available for purchase at CorbettReport.com. This is a uh, one of the videos on here is an interview conducted by my friend Jamie Owens, who was on this broadcast before in the past. And he conducted an interview with me a few years ago, just talking about the Corbett Report and how it got started, etc. I played an extended excerpt of that interview on uh, the my Corbett Report podcast, and that's linked up in the About section of CorbettReport.com, so you can go and listen to that in its entirety and our conversation about living here in Japan. But let's just listen to a clip from this interview that J- Jamie Owens conducted with myself. And he was uh, basically uh, asking me about how I got started in in, uh, in the Corbett Report and what it was like moving here to Japan. So let's just listen to a few minutes of that clip. That's right. That's right. A couple months, I guess. A couple of months, yeah. yeah. So, I guess um, from when you did your first podcast to now, like, uh, I guess, how's it all been going? Well, um, more phenomenal than I could have ever expected, I guess. I never expected to be where I am today doing what I'm doing today, or to be doing something, you know, like this. When you say that, it's more than you ever expected. When you initially did your your very first podcast, what were your expectations? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I don't know if I had an expectation per se, because I don't think... I don't think the podcast was really born of an expectation to, to accomplish something in particular, I, I didn't know what I was going to accomplish or if I was going to accomplish anything, but it was more sort of driven by a, not a desire, just a, a need to to do something with this information that I was learning. And the my initial reaction to the information that I was starting to get when I started this podcast and started doing the research for this podcast was that I just wanted to, to get this information out to other people. So my initial reaction was that I would take... Um, um, MP3s or, or whatever audio of, of things or videos that had affected me and copy them onto CDs or whatever for people and hand them out and, and whatever to give them to my friends, send links via email or whatever. And at some point it just dawned on me that I could probably reach more people by having a website and, and maybe doing something to collate this information. So that was, I mean, there was really not much more thought than that. It was, in fact... Mm-hmm. I'm not a particularly spontaneous person, but this is one of the few sort of spontaneous things I've ever done. I was extremely... I just knew what I wanted the site to look like and how I wanted it to to feel when I did it. Sure. Okay, well, that's probably a good point to stop and backtrack. So going back to, like, when you you started doing your research and you, you 
you started finding all this information that you really felt this strong desire to get it out there. So let, let's go back from there. So just going back into a little bit about your background, um, would you mind talking about that? Right, sure. Well, I'm, I don't know if my background really plays into what I'm doing now, but I guess a lot of people are, are interested in where people come from and how they so. end up where they are. Absolutely. So I, I, um, my background really is that I was a, an English major in university. I was always interested in literature. So I, you know, I actually started out as a physics major in university, but after one semester, I just I couldn't take it anymore. I really, really wanted to do something more, more creative to feed my creative side. So I went into, I switched to English major, and then I got my degree in English literature. And then um, after that, it was off to Dublin in Ireland. Of course, I'm from Canada, and I had always sort of had an affinity for James Joyce and some of the Irish writers. And there's something about a tiny island nation of a few million people that has produced so many mm-hmm. world-class writers that was just really something that drew me. Musicians. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's just such a an incredibly artistic, vibrant place so that was something I wanted to experience so I got the opportunity I went to study in Dublin for one year studied Irish literature that was incredible what an excellent opportunity and um, after that I was thinking about what to do and um, someone uh, it was a chance encounter I had one day on the campus of the university where I was studying where he said uh, I asked him what he was doing he said he was going to um, check possibility for teaching in Asia, teaching English in Asia, and I thought, well, that's a good idea. So from that initial idea, I suddenly decided, well, why not? And I was looking online. Next thing I knew, I was going back to Canada for a few months, and then I came out to Japan and basically been out here for five years or so now. So. Yeah, right. yeah, great. All right, so moving forward from that time then where you've, you've arrived in Japan and you're teaching, how did you become interested in this I, I guess what you yourself call is, is the truth movement mm. how did you sort of become involved, how yeah. did you become aware of all this Do right. you talking about yeah that? absolutely well I've I've always been interested in politics and I come from the, the left side of the political spectrum, I've always been liberal at heart and progressive and, and believed in those causes and so it was something that I always followed from that perspective, and I've always considered myself to be politically motivated and politically interested, but it wasn't something that I think defined my life in, in the way that it does now. And I, I guess the, the turning point for me was um, in 2006, actually, I, learned, I moved into a new apartment, which is a very prosaic, mundane, everyday kind of thing, but it, I think it really did change my life, because this apartment came with an internet connection for free, so suddenly I had internet in my apartment, which I hadn't had for a few years. I had had it before in the past, but in the three or four years or whatever that I hadn't had internet in my apartment, there were things going on online that I didn't know about until I reconnected, which was... YouTube and Google Video and podcasting and all of these sorts of syndication and ways of basically communicating directly with with a wide audience. And I I think that you hear a lot of uh, people living, a lot of foreigners living in Japan say the same thing. They sort of get left behind uh, in regards to like the arts or or anything, or what's happening. Uh, So... Yeah, for me, for a long time, though, that was a kind of a... It was almost like a... It wasn't a bad thing. I didn't think of it as a bad thing because mm. I had my little bubble where I could just read books mm. and, and write and things that I was interested in personally. So that was that was okay for me. So what did you first stumble across, I guess, uh, that got you interested? That's an excellent question and one that I wish that I knew the answer to. But you I can't remember I, I, I can't remember the specific thing that... that that changed my life forever, but it was a series of things. And one of the things was that I was on YouTube a lot um, back at that time. Obviously, it was an incredible... I mean, back in 2006 especially, it was kind of the Wild West of the Internet and everything was online because the copyright infringement things hadn't really cracked down too much at YouTube yet. So I was watching Daily Show and things like that. Mm. and You know, things that I would be watching from, mm. from the left side of the political spectrum that was sure. appealed to me, right? And... 
from the related videos of those videos, I, I kept seeing links to various types of things, but one thing that kept coming up was 9-11 related things, things that were in, had to do with 9-11, and I, I was interested in them, so occasionally I would click on them, and they'd often be just really ridiculous things about flying orbs being responsible for the 9-11 events and things like that, and, and it was usually... So that sort of made you look investigate a little deeper. Well, n- certainly not those types of videos, but uh, it was... Um, you thought there must be something there it, that it, warrants it, investigation. Well, in fact, it, that was a subject in particular that I had, for years, really been actively opposed to the idea of questioning or investigating or coming up with conspiracy theories about, because it was something that, I mean really obviously affected a lot of people around the world and really affected me, you know, emotionally and psychologically when it happened. All right, we'll leave the clip there. Um, It goes on from there, obviously, a a longer interview. Once again, that comes from the 2009 video archive that uh, is available for purchase at CorbettReport.com. And uh, in that uh, clip, I'm talking about the the apartment that I first moved into, or that I moved into back in 2006 here in Japan that came with internet, which really started me along the process of coming to where I am today. It's a bizarre uh, story to think about, but that's uh, that's it. And I actually, in a couple of months ago, I did a subscriber-only video uh, just showing people that actual apartment and me just pontificating on starting out the Corbett Report. So that is there in the archives of the subscriber newsletter. But uh, but let's move on to another video from the subscriber newsletter. In fact, one from October. The October edition, I talked to Brock West, of course, of apperspective.blogspot.com, and he's been on this program before, and he was out here in Japan uh, just uh, at the beginning of October, end of September, whenever that was. And uh, we met up here in Japan, and uh, we just uh, had a little interview on that day. So, uh, so let's go to that clip. Welcome, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com. And thank you once again for subscribing to the Corbett Report newsletter. For all the new subscribers, welcome to my monthly subscriber-only video. And to all the returning subscribers, thank you for your support. Once again, I can't do it without all of you. And today I have a very special treat uh, for for you. This is uh, Brock West, who some of you might remember from Asia Pacific Perspective, apperspective.blogspot.com. And uh, you might remember him from an earlier appearance on Corporate Report Radio or from his excellent work over at AP Perspective. But he's uh, just dropped in into Japan, so let's have the first ever subscriber-only video with an actual subscriber. Brock, thank you so much for coming. Pleasure to be here, James. Uh, in the... Uh Slightly overcast climbs <laughs> of Western Japan. I must admit, it has not lived up to my uh, to my my rhetoric. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. If, if anyone else is thinking of coming to Japan, I'll do my best to order some sunny weather. Yeah. But uh, but Brock has also brought with him some Vegemite. So um, yum. <laughs> I must admit, it's the first time I've never had this before. So I'm looking forward to it. But uh, but Brock, what brings you to Japan? Uh, many 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 different things. Uh, I have a personal fascination with the culture, the whole, the uh, different ends of the spear, of, of the spheres, basically, uh, you know, the ultra-modern, high-tech, woohoo gadget side, and also the really uh, ancient, traditional side, and I appreciate both of them, and I find it fascinating uh, how seamlessly they both coexist. It is an interesting mixture sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. So you've been to Kyoto, to Nara? Kyoto, to Nara, one night in Osaka, and then uh, we are now here in Okayama for a few more days. Uh, May have to uh, stay a bit longer because we have a uh, typhoon kind of menacing off the the coast of Japan right now. But, uh, yeah, so far we've had a week of perfect, beautiful weather and, you know, seeing the sights, doing the touristy thing. But, yeah, it's just been been really wonderful and, uh, you know, the Japanese people really are... An amazing, an amazing bunch, and they've been so welcoming and so very, very uh, nice to us. So they really are incredibly yeah. hospitable. So for people thinking of coming to Japan, it, you can't go wrong with Japanese hospitality. But uh, what's been your favorite thing you've seen or, or eaten or done so far? Well, all the food is amazing for me, anyway. Uh, obviously, you know, be a little bit uh, cautious and careful with uh, seafood at the moment, still. But hey, hello. Hey, <laughs> How are you? <laughs> As you can see, very friendly, very beautiful people. Uh, and also, you know, just uh, just visiting the 
thousands and thousands of shrines around here and every time I've, I've been to one there just is this really good I don't want to get too hippie on you but really good energy and a really good feel about the, about all the shrines and you really I find it hard to walk away from there feeling bad or you know I always feel refreshed and gives you gives me personally some really uh, good clarity anyway so this is your first time in Japan first time in Japan first time overseas yeah. wow anything surprising so far uh, well I had a fair idea about the uh, the cleanliness of the country uh, but it really is something to behold it's really uh, immaculate uh, spotless really spotless um, it's not as expensive as most uh, outsiders will think uh, honestly it's quite comparable to Australia where I'm from uh, most things are much cheaper so um, and just you know the the people there is a beautiful ebb and flow about how the how their society works you know in, you know it's uh, yeah it's just it's really nice to see and there's uh, you know crime's very low which is great and uh, everyone's very welcoming happy peaceful uh, and you know when a stupid foreigner like me gets lost <laughs> you know they, there's more than enough to uh, people to help you out you know out, out, of, out, of, out of a jam I must admit it's the uh, the only place in the world I know of where you don't really have to worry too much about your personal safety. It's, right, yeah. uh, it's a very yeah, safe, clean, nice place. Yeah. All right, so any, any advice you'd like to give anyone who's thinking of coming to Japan? Well, definitely come here, you know. Uh, despite everything that's going on, not only in the world, but more, more so the Asia-Pacific region, it's still very important to enjoy life, uh, to get out and about, see the world, while it is still such a beautiful place. Uh, and basically, you know, I know that's what you're fighting for. That's what I'm fighting for. Uh, you know, we cover some very serious topics, but at the same time, you've got to have that healthy balance of you know enjoying yourself, enjoying life, and meeting new people. You know, like yourself, like a good That's self. That's exactly right. So, thank you so much for coming out here. I really do appreciate it. I, if anyone else is dropping through Okayama in Western Japan, come say hi and uh, and thank you so much for coming. My pleasure. Arigatouzaimasu. All right, friends, once again, that's Brock West from apperspective.blogspot.com. I hope you will check that out if you haven't yet done so. A valuable resource on things that are happening in the Asia-Pacific region, geopolitically, etc. But uh, just as a side note for people who always wondered what that painting I have behind me on the uh, on the, the bookcase there, it's actually a painting that was given to me by Brock's wife when she was out here. So thank you so much for that, uh, Mrs. West. Uh, it was absolutely just a beautiful painting, so I keep it up there behind me as well. So, uh, so thank you for that. And let's take another short break. When we come back, we'll finish up tonight's episode talking about life here in Japan. All right, friends, welcome back. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Here we are in the final few minutes. Of course, I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com here in the exceptionally sunny climes of Western Japan. And it's kind of unfortunate I do this radio show at 12 noon Japan time because it means that it is absolutely too bright to really adequately do video, but oh well. Uh, of course, I am here in Japan, and tonight we're talking about life in Japan and what it's like to live out here. I know a lot of people have questions about that. Uh, again, I'm not sure if I answered any of those questions today, but at the very least, I've provided some of my own thoughts and perspectives on Japan. We had a caller off-air asking about whether there's uh, fluoride in the water here in Japan, also chemtrails. In fact, I will, uh, for the viewers who are watching the video, I will cut to a clip uh, of some chemtrails that I took recently. Oh, no, I can't do that because I did... I did deleted the video, I think. Well, if I have the video, I'll put it in here now, or I'll at least uh, show you the, the photograph that I took of some chemtrails that were up here uh, just recently. So there's definitely the, that going on here in Japan. But on a brighter note, fluoridation of the water uh, is not, I believe, uh, I'm not sure it's a blanket ban across the country, but I believe it's something like 98% of the country does not have fluoridated water. Something along those lines. I, again, I have to actually check into that, but at any rate, I'm pretty sure they don't hear where I live. So that's that is a positive. And that goes into another aspect of something that I like about Japan, which is just the attention to uh, to the the freshness of, of food ingredients, etc. It's something that's really important uh, here in the, just the culinary culture they have here in Japan. Freshness of ingredients, etc. Is, is important. So I think that is, that is much better than having the processed crap that is uh, passed off as food there in North America. And uh, one of the reasons why I 
I very much like eating here in Japan, and it's to the point where you could actually you can actually buy an egg salad sandwich or whatever at the、uh, convenience store here, and be pretty certain that you're not going to get food poisoning. Whereas I think it's a, almost the exact opposite back、uh, back home. Whenever I would get、uh, anything questionable from a, a convenience store, well, I learned my lesson on that one because、uh, obviously、uh, food poisoning was not far behind here in Japan. That generally doesn't happen. Pe- people are very concerned about、uh, freshness of ingredients, etc. So. So fluoridation of water,、uh, GMOs, other other things like that are really not an issue directly here in Japan. Of course, there's always the question of processed foods being imported from the U.S., which inevitably have a certain amount of GMs in them. But、uh, but to a large extent, issues like that I think are a lot better in、uh, in Japan at any rate, and in a lot of Asian countries. Where they they do care about that that sort of thing,、um, but again, generally,、uh, it, there's so much to talk about, and、uh, where do you even begin? There's、uh, economic Armageddon really playing itself out here in Japan as they're、uh, going into, I believe, the ninth round of quantitative easing, trying to、uh, to stave off a deflationary depression, recession, ongoing eternal recession that、uh, Japan has been in for decades, wrangling over、uh, bond issues,、uh, the the co- coming demogra- demographic winter, and potential collapse of the society as it becomes the oldest society on the planet. In fact, the oldest society in human history.、Uh, just an incredible、uh, series of events are taking place. In Japan, which make it a canary in the coal mine on so many issues. And last week, I was pointing to a ZeroHedge.com article about the similarities between、uh, Japan and、uh, the U.S. economically, and、uh, that's not a good thing for the people in the United States who are, well, potentially going to be living through what、uh, the Japanese economy has been living through for decades. And there's so many other issues, political and、uh, social and geopolitical, going on here. But at any rate, I hope I've given you at least a glimpse of life in Japan. Once again, I always do like hearing from people around the world, so please do send in your comments, questions, com-、uh, criticisms, complaints, feedback, positive positivity, whatever it is, through the contact form corporatereport.com. On that note, that's it for me tonight. I'm going to be back 23 hours from now with an all-new topic. So until then, thank you all for listening. Take care. The Corbett Report 2009 Video Archive. Over 90 minutes of never-before-seen interviews and classic video reports, including these major actors, a handful of financial institutions, are picking up、uh, the real economy at rock-bottom prices. Very simply speaking,、uh, I think、uh, there can't be any justifiable. Well, and I think this is this is all basically also a big hat tip to the work that Project Censor does, and that is one of those things that again is always a real a, a big effective tool in the info war. Is that sort of in one link you can send that you can send that out and have someone read that list and just go, "Oh my God, I didn't know these things." It's a simple decision to make, but one that we must make quickly before the argument can be spun away and environmentalism can go back to business as usual. And、uh, I, I didn't like what I saw from an emotional standpoint, and from a, a scientific standpoint, from just the physics of watching the pulverization of these buildings. Well, they they came out and said, look, the, this report is not to be used for policy. But then they set up the summary for policymakers. The absolute contradiction of that. I've always considered myself to be politically motivated and politically interested, but it wasn't something that I think defined my life in in the way that it does now. The Corbett Report, 2009 Video Archive, available now on DVD. Buy your copy today at corbettreport.com.